0: Welcome to South London Hardcore. We're recording at Surrey Docks Farm. I'm Jack McInerm here with Steve Walsh. Hello. And we're going to go look at some animals. Let's go see. Um, so basically, at the moment, Steve Lakeisha and Lamaya are in a pit filled with animals. I'm standing here watching from uh, the vanguard. Animals with horns sticking out their heads. What's that? Stop. Stop. We're safely back from the farm. Uh, this week, we're going to be talking about sorry docks and sorry keys, and we're recording today. For the first time in Steve's front room. So I don't know if it will sound different.
1: Oh, it will sound different, wouldn't it? Because, like, just the acoustics? I think we'll have the same
0: problem, Steve, where you just won't talk into the microphone.
1: It's omnidirectional. I don't need to... It's not some 1920s BBC thing, is it, where I've got to lean into it. Is it? I don't know. Maybe I should set the scene. Steve, I think you're dying to. This is the thing, whether, your, whether you should or not. It, your your house, it's in South London, my flat, so it's relevant on that basis, I suppose, isn't it? Yeah, if
0: you want to just wander around randomly, you'll bump into it, won't
1: <laughs> Your
0: flat was uh, once described as being a cross between a teenage boy's bedroom and
1: uh, a pensioner's, uh, a widow's flat. wasn't widow. It was, uh, <laughs> it was, well, yeah, a cross between a teenage boy's bedroom and an old woman's house. And a woman with Alzheimer's. Again, you're, you're embellishing. And now the reason
0: for that, Steve, is because you've got. Say, I'm looking at a cabinet in the front room. Yeah. So straight uh, away, top shelf, right? Kurt Vonnegut novels. It's Brilliant. Fine, Brilliant, and you know, can't really beat him. Second shelf, you've got your Marx Brothers uh,
1: postcards. Yeah. Not nice. to
0: mention the uh, Wagner uh, bust. bust. Yeah. And then you've got your finest uh, crystal on the uh, bottom <laughs> shelf. Signed sign Clive Allen
1: photo as well yeah. I should add uh, Crystal's present from Andrew Venables True story Really? Yeah, Secret Santa What a lovely gift He really went to All that crystal? <laughs> no, the, the, the Clive Allen picture And uh, he went I was really touched Because he'd clearly gone to a lot of effort To source uh, a signed photo from West Ham player um, And then was really upset Because he found out afterwards That Clive Allen played for lots of other teams And I was like, it's really common It's very rare for players to only play for one team It's a beautiful gesture No, lovely
0: Just moving around the room Right. We're not done. You've got kind of uh, worrying 20. piles, Steve. <laughs> <laughs> not hemorrhoids.
1: <laughs> uh, but, but, you
0: know, it sort of indicates that at some point, you know, someone's going to have to... When you die, Steve, right? yeah. I don't know when that's going to be. A week or two. Halfway there, aren't you? Yeah, minimum. And, uh, you know, when you go, there's just going to be piles and piles and piles of uh, useless stuff, isn't
1: there? But the thing is, most of the stuff's come from charity shops. So they'll just be going home, won't they? it would be fine. It'll be fine. They're just resting they? here before they go back to St. Christopher's Hospice. You've got... Behind
0: your tele, you know?
1: Yeah.
0: You've got a pile of telephones. I've got two telephones. No, actually, I've got more than
1: two telephones. Yeah, there's at least yeah. three telephones there's in a pile. There's at least three telephones there, yeah. Do you want to maybe elaborate? One telephone rings, but doesn't have a voice piece that works. So you can't talk through it. The other one... Has a mouthpiece that works but doesn't ring. So, what's the third telephone for? That was well. That's one that that's got that does both, but uh it's got to be charged, and I can't be bothered keeping it plugged in all the time because I, I only use my telephone, the my landline, to ring my parents in Ireland. That's the only use I have for it. I don't make any other calls now. I've got a mobile phone, I? I'm not ringing people free calls on the landline. So um yeah, and I ring my parents and they get free calls from Ireland. So they ring me back. So I ring them on the phone that doesn't ring. Uh, but the voice piece works. And then... They when you're re-
0: done, you plug that, the other one in. We um, In our house, Steve, me and Akeisha, you know, yeah. you normally record. Yeah. You remember it. One phone. One phone, right? Cordless. Yeah? Five pounds. We had it for three years, bought off eBay for five pounds. That's brilliant. It's not
1: bad, is it? Yeah, it's great. No faffing about. Faffing? I've got nothing but time to faff. I'm fine, isn't it? I
0: don't know if I'm going to keep going around the room, Steve. Stacks of CDs. You've got a working cassette player.
1: <laughs> um, I've got cassettes. It's the reason folders, magazines uh, got a broke clock, rollies that don't tick tock, <laughs> but anyway, on with the show before it's known as uh Surrey Docks. It's just called the Roverhive Peninsula, the area, and I quite like the shape of it. I like the fact that it sort of mirrors the Isle of dogs on the other side. Because, you know, I wanted us to adopt the Isle of Dogs because it drops down into South London. You make an argument that the Rotherhithe Peninsula drops up into North London. North London hardcore. Well, well, they're, they're not trying to claim Rotherhithe, are they? Transpontine, no. It's on this side of the river. We're having it. Initially, it's it's marshland, so it's not suitable for farming. So it's not really inhabited. Nothing's done with it. But it becomes useful as docks and a port. Because of its location, close to the city and it's it's on the river, it becomes prominent for the first time in 1620 when the Mayflower stops up at have to pick up provisions before heading off to Plymouth to pick up the Pilgrim Fathers and uh, going off to say found America, it's the probably, new the new world. Yeah, it went over to pillage. <laughs> yeah, went got to uh, steal a nation. So it becomes a dock and a port generally. But it's not till 1696 that it actually becomes established as a proper dock that's built properly and set up as one place. And that's the Howland Great Wet Dock, which is big enough to hold 120 ships, which for the time is ridiculous. <laughs> Too big, if anything. <laughs> All those ships in one place. And it's a, a, a dock of general use, but by the 18th century it becomes so important for Arctic whalers that it's known as Greenland Dock. It's named Greenland Dock because essentially every ship that's coming in there is coming from Greenland. Mm -hmm. And that's that's a tradition. where later on, as more docks open, they start to reflect the countries and the areas that the business is coming in from. But at this point, it's still uh, for whalers. But as time goes on, it turns into a specialist dock for timber. Timber. <laughs> That's your contribution. <laughs> Foley, I'm going to do sound effects. Sound effects. I signed for Bob Marley and the Wailers earlier. But... <laughs> you can drop it in. Oh, yeah. A particular timber merchant called William Ritchie establishes Greenland Dock as a timber specialist in the 19th century. He combines his forces with the other docks in the area so that by the end of the 19th century, 80% of the timber trade in London goes through this particular dock. And this is a time when timber is massive importance. This is a huge thing. As I say, across the years, other docks open, which reflects the countries that the ships are coming from. So you get the Canada dock, Norway dock, Russia dock... But then because it becomes a timber specialist, you get ponds alongside the docks. So the ships come into the docks, the timber's unloaded and stored in the ponds, then moved off to go around the country. And again, the ponds reflect the areas that they're doing business with. So you get Quebec Pond and Canada Pond. Eventually, you get to a point where there's nine large docks, six timber ponds, and a canal opens up. So the Grand Surrey Canal opens up in 1807. That's supposed to be an, an inland link for the docks, so that rather than being unloaded onto the roads and carried away things, they can go onto barges and move around the country much quicker. At this point, with... Barges known for their speed, are they? <laughs> well, you know, uh, uh, canals you're cutting across, aren't you? You're not having to worry about roads and hills. You've got a direct route. Yeah. Are you disputing uh, canals? <laughs> As it turns out, this canal's a busted flush, so you're right <laughs> to uh, dispute uh, the canals. A busted flush, you never heard that phrase before? Like in poker. A failure. Uh, I don't know if it comes from poker. Like, it would come from poker, wouldn't it? I guess. Yeah. Obviously, used phrase don't know yeah. where it comes from. Is it like on a toilet? Possibly that oh, as well, isn't it? Flush yeah. Basically it doesn't work, you know. Busted flush sounds like it's wrong, doesn't it? By the time you get nine docks, six ponds and a canal, eighty five percent of the peninsula is handed over to docks. Wow. Which mm-hmm. is incredible. You see a map at the time and it's uh, blue essentially you look at a map now there's still some docks existing but at this point it's ridiculous how much is there well you've got the docks on the Rotherhithe Peninsula that become known as Surrey Docks on the other side of the Thames obviously you've got the other dogs but a very different culture emerges across the two docklands because of the timber specialism in Rotherhithe you get a particular kind of dock worker called deal porters deal being a phrase used for timber and they have their own ways of working, their own way of dressing. They wear leather headgear. <laughs> do- leather headgear. Leather headgear and uh, a, a long apron to protect their heads and neck and bodies from the wood. They're dealing with like... because yeah, famously
0: um, aprons do big heavy bits of timber. If you wear an apron, aprons. You're, fine.
1: you're You're assuming uh, it's like got a picture of, uh, you know, a woman's body with <laughs> lingerie. The entire, her, uh... Kiss the chef, innit? in the barbecue uh, yeah, you're, you're getting the wrong picture of Dilpo's you need to think uh, probably more sort of like medieval leather armour I guess that's it? what it's there for to protect the body um, they become particularly well known for their balance the fact that they're dealing with huge loads and they're quite sort of nimble and agile and, and moving quickly and, and well with them so they get the nickname Blondins from um, Charles Blondin who's a famous I, tightrope walker yeah Yeah, famous acrobat of the time. So yeah, the docks grow and specialise into this particular area of timber. Then, as so often with stories of South London, the Second World War turns up. At this point, the docks, you know, we've talked before about South London being bombed really for no good reason. This time, it's a legitimate target, isn't it? You go for docks. And uh, the Surrey docks are particularly badly hit. They do get a chance to... Strike back somewhat, though. The South Dock mm. is pumped dry during the Second World War, and it's used to make... Massive water pistol, which they shot at the German uh, Luftwaffe. <laughs> yeah, they, uh, it turned into like a fairground attraction. Yeah. They had to like uh, fill up a bucket, and then a, a Junker bomber dropped out of the sky. Yeah. Um, they build the Mulberry Harbours that are used in the D-Day landings. The what?
0: Mulberry Harbours? Mulberry
1: Harbours. They um, built basically uh, mobile floating harbours that they towed across the channel so that they'd have uh, landing spots on the beaches. Uh-huh. You didn't know this? I didn't know. In... Uh, in Saving Private Ryan? I was going to say you'd see them in Saving Private Ryan, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they obviously designed special boats as well to land, but for... So that they could basically get jeeps and trucks and tanks uh, onto, the, onto the land. So the docks are hit particularly badly during the Second World War, but it isn't the war that finishes off the docks. Thatcher. Almost. In between then, progress generally does <laughs> for the docks. Containerization. If I say that to you, what do you think of? What do you imagine that refers to? Uh, uh massive containers. Correct. See? You're a natural. Um stacks. They stack Yeah, this is the thing, yeah, you you develop after the war. The idea of containerisation, you've got these... The wire season too. Yeah, exactly, yeah. And as you say, they're stackable, they're standard sized, so you can go anywhere around the world moving any sort of produce you need to and you can go into any dock, put them onto any train, onto any boat, onto any truck and they're always going to fit. And of course the problem with this is if you've got these huge containers, I don't get how good your deal portals are. They're not loading one up on their shoulders and blonding no. around the place, are they? <laughs> no one's got a leather apron that's going. Just stick stick a couple on there. I'll be all right. So it becomes industrialised. It becomes automated. The specialism goes out the window. The other problem for Surrey docks in particular is to use the containers. The ships themselves become much bigger. In fact, far too big for the docks to become practical. So they just drop out of use completely. So this is by the sixties. The docks have fallen into disuse. They're just, there's no practical use for them. They can't be used as docks. There's nothing else you can really do with the area because it is, let's say, 85% docks and ponds. I mean, it's very difficult to think about development or any other ideas for the area. The canal is filled in in the 1970s progressively and is more or less, as it's filled in, turned into connected parkland that stretches across South London.
0: Oh we went past it, didn't we? We went past a bit and you went to Well obviously Burgess Burgess Park is massive you know, whenever we used to walk through there as a kid, which seemed to be quite frequently, you know, my dad would tell us that uh, this was this
1: used to be a canal. It was the Grand Surrey Canal. Yeah, Burgess Park is probably the part that we've know best that's been created uh, out of this. Also, um the site of Peckham Library uh is part of Well that's the, the end, isn't it? Of, yeah. yeah. I and mean, if you walk
0: from um from Burgess Park, you just keep going the canal route, you end up at Peckham Library, yeah, do Yeah. And then obviously, after that, I don't know where it went from there, but that was kind of my end point.
1: I think that was where it ended. Oh no, it did. I think it might have run down into uh, Croydon as well. Yeah, I mean, it's, it would be a bit of a waste for it just to end there, wouldn't it? Yeah, just stop build Peckham, a canal Just yeah. so you connect rather and Peckham, yeah. yeah. Eventually, by the 1980s, they decide that this area is too large to let run to ruin is one thing. But also, you get the development of the idea of riverside and dockside properties becoming valuable and desirable. Uh, So, most of the canals are filled in, and roads and houses are built. Mostly, from what we saw, terrible buildings. We went for a wander along there, and
0: yeah really awful awful looking buildings some
1: of the worst buildings I've ever seen in the world in this yeah, one spot with
0: their sort of A4 windows yeah
1: yeah yeah you've got these housing uh, estates with the tiniest windows like a prison yeah boxy little new builds aren't they yeah I was saying about one of the windows Like, if you're a teenage boy and that's your bedroom window if you put a sticker in your window that's oh, half your window Capital gone. FM. yeah done you get a, a bumper sticker, put it in your window. Southern hardcore bumper stickers, Steve. When? <laughs> Not if, when. And that, um... the name I can't remember the name of that pub. We took a photograph, didn't we? But, um... The ugliest pub ever, it. Just that Perspex Monstrosity. Do you remember? And it had, like, a sort of steeple look to it. It was just horrible. Yeah, just on... on but the, they used, on, like...
0: On one of those ponds, I suppose, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah,
1: yeah, it was on uh, Canada Pond, I think. Uh But they, uh had used very old traditional signage and typography on this 80s perspex monstrosity. And it just really didn't help anything, did it?
0: No, terrible.
1: The most famous film probably built is the shopping centre, which I've not been a, a frequent visitor to. Yeah, I never I mean, went, but it was always described as being this magical place where everything was there. It was like you were going to the West End to do shopping, you go to Surikis because everything's there. I imagine what's there is. Well,
0: you know, you said that, but there's, um, you know, there's a huge supermarket, but there's lo- like there's several clothes shops, and um, you know, just but general. It's like Elephant and Castle, right? Yeah. But like Rit ten large. times better. Yeah. Like the worst shop in the best. Sorry, the best shop in Elephant and Castle is sort of their worst shop. Um, <laughs> But obviously, and there's a the cinema, of course. Well, about, that yeah, yeah, later on the cinema sprang up. The cinema only opened in the 90s. Yeah. Um, I've never
1: been. Really? No. I used
0: to go to the cinema all the time as a teenager. Yeah. That was the number one cinema we went to. Yeah. You know, Peckham, Elephant Castle closed down, mm. Peckham opened, and then when Surrey Keys opened, used to go there all the time. And you've got bowling just next to it as well. Yeah. And it's loads
1: of screens, isn't it? Is it long? Yeah, yeah, series? yeah. It's yeah, big number.
0: But yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's... it's uh, like significantly, bigger in than theory, making. it's a good it's a good cinema, but obviously, you know, if people are smoking weed in there. It's not ideal.
1: Yeah, yeah. So, so it's a useful multiplex. With the regeneration, you get the rebranding of the area. So Canada Dock becomes Canada Water. Surrey Docks, the area becomes known as Surrey Quays as well, and it's more I accurate. Thought it was
0: Surrey uh, Quays.
1: <laughs> you get. Wildlife reserves open as well, and smaller shops. But, I mean, we saw a couple of smaller strips of shops, didn't we? And they just looked horrible in it, terms of the It's layout. a real kind of... It's quite a des- a desperate area, really. It's just the problem is it's so badly planned and so soulless. That's the problem. Because, yeah. because, basically, they were given a blank slate with the area because you're sort of, like, just building over it and you can do everything. What the, a lot of the charm of London comes from the fact that even after the Great Fire, you know, and this is in the centre of London, there were various options, various ideas put forward about how to lay out the city, and eventually they decided just to go back to what they had. So you've still got... Well, I mean, it makes London a nightmare in terms of modern transport, in terms of, like, trying to get around in a car or a bus. You've got these ridiculous roads that don't have any purpose. But that's wonderful as well, isn't it? That keeps the soul of an area life. And that's the problem. You haven't got that in Surrey Keys. We were trying to walk around... And when you sort of look at the maps, you realise there's no flow to the area. No, Everything's a cul-de-sac. It it doesn't flow at all. No. Everything leads into an area. And there's no way to go around it normally. You sort of go in and you come out again. It's designed... You're you're in kind of modern housing estates. Yeah, yeah. And then you
0: kind of wander into... Yeah, Everything feels like everything from the houses to the shops has the feel that it's been built in the last 20 years,
1: which it has. Yeah, and that's the problem. You're looking at a time where... And also, there was a. I think there was a horrible sort of pragmatism to the whole uh, project. It was... and It's going to sound like me just bashing the Tories. Good. Because mm-hmm. it was essentially just a Thatcher-led scheme to create a place for the nouveau riche to, to mess around. I mean, it's not a coincidence that, you know, you've got the docks there. So you've got... And it goes back to the point we made with Wolfgang before about, you know, riverside apartments and dockside apartments being desirable now, whereas 100 years ago, they've would been horrible. You, you'd have been, like, living next to an open sewer. People would have been horrified at the idea of uh, living there. But now, you've got things like uh, South Dock has been turned into London's largest marina. Who needs to live next to a marina? Someone who owns a boat. Who's going to own a boat? Someone who's made a lot of money. Who's going to make... So that's the problem. You're getting a whole thing where... The area is created and directed towards a particular class of people. The most recent major occurrence, I don't know if you call that, was 2005. Have you heard of Malcolm Hardy? No. He was, he's described pretty much as the godfather alternative comedian, uh, comedy from uh, the 1980s. He was—he basically set up various comedy clubs and was a huge sort of inspiration to a generation of alternative as, comedians. As Stuart Lee mentioned him. Stuart Lee, yeah. Would well then been. probably... <laughs> you've heard him mentioned, <laughs> heard him mentioned at some point he um, I think owned the Wibbly Wobbly which is a pub on a boat which was recommended as a place for us to go uh, by Wolfgang Moneypenny we 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 m- we'll at
0: some point sorry maybe we will at some point
1: yeah yeah having read about it since then uh, I'd, I would be intrigued to visit it's a boat on a pub you say did I say that?
0: No, it's a pub on a boat. Right, I was
1: going to say, because, <laughs> although, yeah, no, no, yeah, it's uh, a pub on a boat. And uh, Malcolm Hardy uh, died in 2005, uh, trying basically to traverse the 15 yards from the Wibbly Wobbly to the house where he lived on in a dinghy, fell in and died. Tragic. Yeah, so he died in, I think it's South Dockets. in. We didn't actually make it there, so. Nor did he. He would appreciate that. that. What is alternative comedy? What if Stuart Lee listens to this? Oh, that's the point. Yeah, you don't want to upset Stuart Lee. Are we supposed to get anybody to listen to this
0: podcast? I mean, obviously, Stuart Lee would be in the top five. Beyonce, obviously.
1: (laughs) Beyonce's listening to all the other South London (laughs) hardcores. Frank Ocean, Rick Ross, then Stuart Lee.
0: Mark (laughs) Commode, Jacob
1: Steinberg. (laughs) Why would Jacob Steinberg (laughs) Steinberg (laughs) listen to this? Uh. It does seem like West Ham. He looks like Street. Does he? I say one of the important things about redeveloping the area for residential use was the idea of establishing wildlife areas because obviously it was a commercial area. There was very little, well, nothing in the way of uh, natural wildlife. So they set up various wildlife reserves and uh, tried to encourage seabirds into here and whatnot. One of the important places that I opened was Surrey Dock Farm, which we visited this Sunday. You you didn't enjoy it at all, did you? You don't like animals. I hate animals. There was a wonderful one where we we talked about doing this for a while, and we'd been planning it in detail all week. And it was once we got within like 50 yards, you sort of went, oh God, I hate farms. You remembered. Well, I I probably
0: didn't blaspheme, Steve. (laughs) (laughs) No, they stink, don't they? The thing is, I don't have a great sense of smell. So it was probably 10 yards closer to it that I actually smelt the farm. But yeah, I'm not a fan
1: of animals at all. We were saying it must reflect in property prices yeah. I mean, sort of directly next yeah day. exactly but yeah I will, it is noticeable next to, uh... Uh, is it a thing maybe they always say about um iceland if you go to iceland it smells of eggs and basically you can live in iceland if you can get past that and if you can't you can't live there some people can handle it and some people can't same with venice you hear but then again, you hear about venice that well everyone says venice smells Then it's they? fine i've went there and did you have you been no, I went to Venice. Like I come out of the train station, I'm bracing myself, and then you go, "This is fine." I went in the springs. So maybe it's worse in the summer or bad, and some of it was absolutely fine. Oh, I made Tim right. This has probably happened in South London, so it's legitimate to talk about. It's all legit.
0: He worked in uh, Home show, I think it was LCM, London City Mission, probably. Right. Which is, um, you go past it on the train around London Bridge. So being be in that space, okay. and he signed up for five weeks, I think it was right. And everyone was like. We signed off for five weeks. For give it a week, see how it goes, yeah. And then don't tell him you're going to be there for five weeks if you're not, you know. And he's like, "No, no I'm going to do five weeks," you know. Enthusiastic, very enthusiastic. And uh, I think it was about half an hour, forty-five minutes into his first shift, as he described it, uh, a homeless person half coughed, half uh, threw up, and he oh, just God. he knocked it on the head. But that's not the point I was making. He um, he did um, one day as a road sweeper as well. Yeah. And uh, he, he mentioned the smell, and the uh, guy who's a veteran road sweeper went, uh, oh, you get used to the smell. Don't take a job where you have to get used to the smell. Yeah. That's my advice to any
1: children listening. So Tim's had one job lost today, another day, another volunteering being lasted for 45 minutes. There's more. I mean, there's others. <laughs> <laughs> He's the, the Kramer of uh, Southampton's job market. Yeah. The smell as we approach the farm reminding you that you're not a fan of farms and that carried on when we got inside as well didn't it
0: yeah um, I, you obviously have that fear of dogs Steve which is very real yeah and legitimate they're wild animals they're wolves yeah but some of them are little poodles and if they kind of go near me I'm a bit like
1: oh.
0: okay that's less legitimate but yeah they're just <laughs> gross are not they animals like they, those pigs you know putting their noses on stuff and Lakeisha um, she said she was horrified but when she looked through that farm, um, whatever it was, window with a sheep. With a sheep. And, yeah. she was, and she was
1: like, did you see it? And I was like, no, I didn't look in there. You see, I don't think it was uh, horrific inside. It was just disturbing. You just look through and there's like half a dozen sheep that are just staring at you. They're not moving. And the thing is, when you think of sheep, you think of them in a field gambling rounds. And these lot were just like, just, they just look traumatised. <laughs> well, Lamaya was disappointed with the cows, wasn't she? Because her thing, once we got to the farm, mm-hmm. was like she wanted to see a cow. But then Lakeisha's explanation was uh, she was like seen really non plus by the cows and I yeah. was like she doesn't seem well I mean she's three years old she, to be fair is one yeah, thing. but she got home and she told her mum she didn't see a cow
0: well Lakeisha reckons it's because they weren't black and white yeah which probably. is probably true I mean she's only way... got a black and white telly <laughs> no but genuinely no, it's like with the pigs
1: I mean they're like hairy blonde pigs they're not pink they're <laughs> not like babe are they it's quite an incredible range of animals for a city farm You've got goats, sheep, cows, pigs, ducks, geese, chickens, turkeys, bees, they list. I didn't see any bees. Wu-tang, Donkeys. Wu-Tang killer bees, in a swarm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there is... And there's other things there as well. You've got, like, the beehives. Um, there's an orchard, a herb garden. There's a working forge, which we didn't actually spot, but that's a great thing to have. There was also... There was a sign-up, I took a photograph, where it said grapes, and I think they were trying to insinuate it as a vineyard, but there was no evidence of any vines. And realistically, what February. grapes are you getting? London in February, grapes. Yeah. Just leave that bit, and just you know, put, put some animals in there, let them, have them wander around. Yeah, we, we walked down into, you've described as a pit, I don't know if that's how they describe it, probably a yard is how they describe it.
0: When yeah
1: you, you, you walk a down pen? into it. a pen yeah let's call it a pen but it is you do have to walk down into. i mean it. even if you don't go down into it
0: right if you're on the um the kind of balcony area yeah there's goats with their arms arms with their <laughs> hooves up on there, you know getting fed by uh, human
1: beings well they jump and that right over me. the me they jump on the there's like little sheds and they jump onto the sheds and then they climb up to be fed uh, by uh, the humans there was one incredible bit, I don't know why I find it incredible, uh, where there were two goats on a roof and one literally butted the other one off the roof. And it's only... I'm it's about, I missed that. It's about a three foot... You were there. You were just like having nothing to do no, with well, it. No, I think at that point,
0: I was looking... They've got a bookstore. Yeah. And CDs and DVDs. I was looking up... But really good, up, isn't it? At that point, I think I would picked up uh, Ludacris's Chicken and Beer, which they had <laughs> a sealed copy of. I don't know if that's... If it was only farm-related uh, album titles... <laughs>
1: so pet sounds (laughs) there was one pig in a shed in like a little you want to call it a kennel it looks like a kennel yeah it looked like a kennel yeah it looked like a kennel kennel. and uh, all the other pigs were out and about looking to get fed this fella nothing to do with it it? He he was about six times the size of the next largest pig and just like clearly just lying there going there's no way I'm getting up Interestingly, Steve, your initial spell out Sal, don't they? That is, yeah. We weren't there for ages. We were there for a fair old time. I would say, and you might disagree with this, 35% of the time we were there with you waiting to record the sound of a rooster. Ha <laughs> Yeah. You became determined. It was like a mission. I kept turning it off and the rooster would go, cock-a-doodle-doo. <laughs> exactly like that. Yeah, um... It was quite funny for me because you, you would sort of hear him start and then grab for the recorder as if, like, you were going to be so quick at pulling this recorder out and pressing record that you'd catch anything more than ooh at the end, which is more likely what you're going to get. As much as I don't like animals, people do, and it is a pretty good day out, is it, for the family. I it's thought, free. It's free. I thought, as a setup, in terms of like the buildings and, and what's there, it's brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Lakeisha wouldn't go in the uh the initial plan
0: I thought was to go and get some lunch in the cafe in the middle. But yeah. Lakeisha was just not interested in
1: going in there. It does the thing about the cafe, it does look a lot like a portal cabin, doesn't it?
0: Yeah, and it, you are supposed to um wash your hands before you go in, there's taps everywhere. Yeah. But Lakeisha wasn't convinced that people were. And I mean I can understand that point. But yeah, I mean it was that's like seven ninety five for a breakfast, so it was like kind of at the high end of things. But I mean if they're giving their. Uh, if they're letting you in free, I suppose they have got to make some money somewhere. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we bought a bag of feed for Lamia, and she threw that in uh, goats' faces.
1: <laughs> well, this is the thing: like, Lakisha don't
0: want to put in her hand out and having a goat licking every finger.
1: <laughs> it was a pound for the bag of feed, and I think Lamia fed pigs, goats, cows, donkeys. Uh, Lamia actually shared a handful with another child as well, so it's great value for a quid
0: it was yeah but at the same time they're probably paying about 7p aren't they oh they're making so. a kid it, but it's perfect yeah it's a because perfect because
1: it, it? it's, it's uh, you know capitalism in an almost acceptable form isn't it where you know they're getting a great markup on it and that kid's getting at least a pound's worth of, of joy out of it it's perfect see so yeah, it was a Sunday morning and it was even packed at, uh... yeah it's very busy wasn't it yeah
0: but yeah we went we went to grab some breakfast afterwards it was too early to have a roast regrettably but what a breakfast, Steve! Great one. We went to the Ship and the Whale on Gulliver Street, which is uh, probably five minutes walk. And we, me, me and you, we had a dockers breakfast. Right? We did bread, well toast, 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 bacon, chips, egg, beans, sausage, tomato, and a flat white. It was delicious. Yeah. I can't speak highly enough of One of the best, best breakfasts I've ever had. You described them as the best chips you've ever had. Oh, they were extraordinary. Yeah. And, like, the bacon was delicious, and the sausage. Oh, Steve. I mean, I've mentioned this before, but you go in a Yeah, and they give you a sausage that's,
1: like, 80% sand. When you go Not for there. a set breakfast, 90% of the time, you write off a sausage, isn't you? You it.
0: it? I won't get a sausage. Yeah,
1: but you, if, you, if there's one there, you sort of go... Uh, sometimes you have a go and you go, ah, of course it's, it's terrible, of course it is it's, it's a sausage and a set breakfast. Not this one. No, delicious. And
0: at five ninety five, that's at the low end of that kind of thing. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, you won't you don't get a good a good cooked breakfast for less less than that. Any you cap you go to. Any well. cap
1: you go to, for that range of food you're gonna pay a fiver. With toast and coffee. Yeah, but even then,
0: that yeah, that's and that's the, the retrograde stuff, isn't it? Yeah. Uh Lakeisha had um scrambled egg on toast
1: and the scrambled egg was amazing as well wasn't it so creamy I'd made a point beforehand you were talking about Lakeisha likes a scrambled egg a certain way you, you like your scrambled egg a certain way and my argument was uh, for me egg is ideally the way my mum would produce it so like my fried eggs my favourite fried eggs is the ones my mum does my favourite scrambled eggs the one my mum does my favourite boiled eggs the one my mum does. does so when you were saying that I was like well it doesn't look like scrambled egg. so I, I tried it and I was like no that's the best scrambled egg I've yeah, ever had. Wonderful, isn't it? Yeah.
0: and two ninety five for scrambled egg and toast on like quite a uh, sizeable amount. But yeah, that's the uh, ship and the whale on
1: uh, Gulliver Street. Lovely, highly recommended. Uh, great sort of space. It's nice. We were talking about the pub earlier that we walked past, uh, which was a horrific plastic shack, mm. and this is a proper building with uh, lovely wood paneling, high ceilings. Yeah, they got photographs up of. Uh, you know, the pub from yesteryear. Yeah, yeah. And I,
0: I'm I'm uh, interested to try to try the roast, man. I bet it would be lovely.
1: Oh, I imagine it would be gorgeous. The other thing as well, great service, because it's a family pub, but we went over with a three-year-old, and obviously, Lamaya is... What was that
0: thing when we were trying to take her out at the end and she was just doing that kind just of... Just made a noise, didn't she? That kind of high-pitched squill. Yeah. Constantly. Yeah. For about two minutes. But... Uh, it was only when I put her outside and shut the door... <laughs> But she stopped. <laughs> she did stop,
1: and uh, she seemed quite shocked at uh, what had happened. But no, um, it was great because she wasn't being uh, no,
0: troubled was by just,
1: just a three-year-old. But you know you'd go in certain places, and you'd be getting sideways looks from the staff, sort of going, this is the last night. They were lovely. Uh, the woman was bringing stuff over, seemed uh, charmed. by. Her. Took some pictures while we were having a wander around on Sunday morning, so they'll be going up on the website, that's southlondonhardcore.com.
0: You can also find us on
1: Twitter at SLHC Podcast.
0: That's mostly Steve on Twitter, especially if there's a, a dot dot dot. <laughs> Would do you call that an ellipsis?
1: Is it an ellipsis?
0: I mostly use my uh, Tottenham Hotspur related Twitter, which is at Yids, and Steve has got his own at Vents Wales. Very little content. Mostly retweets. Just on in the case people mm. like,
1: I need one Twitter account from these guys it's not enough. I need at least three. <laughs> Steve might say something about comics halfway through the week. I need to know what he's saying about comics.
0: And I'm sure we've got some listeners, Steve, who saw you on national
1: television. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, We might have two listeners that saw me on national television. Loads. Looking wooden. Not my words. The words of my co-host, Jack McElroy. I only saw a still, but you seemed uh, terrified. Petrified. (laughs) (laughs) I've described that still as me looking furiously constipated. and I stand by that? BBC Breakfast News, and you were uh, describing the history of comics in one sentence, Steve. Well, I spoke to him for 10 minutes, and they chopped up those 10 minutes to get one coherent sentence out of me, which was, uh, you know, good work on their part. It's what you do on a weekly basis. <laughs> <laughs>